Good afternoon, everyone. You are listening to Faith FM, and it's the afternoon show called, uh, what is it called? Looking Up. <laughs> Last time I checked. <laughs> the Last time I checked. Welcome to Looking Up once again each Wednesday afternoon with me, Peter Watts, and my good friend and co-host, Danny Milenkov. Welcome, Danny. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. Good to have everyone on board on this beautiful afternoon. Yeah, I just want to welcome all of our listeners um, today back to the show. And in our show, Looking Up, we have been looking at the current state of the world. We uh, began this um, radio show, this uh, podcast, um, back in uh, the early parts of the pandemic when uh, we'd recently gone into lockdown and we thought, what can we do? Let's put a program together that looks at the relationship between what's happening in the world and what the Bible says about the last days, about the apocalypse, about the end of time, about the second coming of Jesus and about the signs of our times. And so uh, we've been looking at that and various aspects of that in the last little while. And we are back again today. And we've got an interesting show. We've been, um, we started a journey at looking at three fascinating messages found in the heart of the book of Revelation called the Three Angels Messages. And we have started to look at uh, message number one, and we might be able to wrap up message number one today later in the show. We're uh, also going to take a look at the news. We're going to take a look at uh, some questions that came in uh, today so or last week. So going to enjoy uh, looking at all of that. And uh, just to um, let you know how you might participate today, if you would like to call in with a question you can do so on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-324-843. Or you might want to text in a comment or a question, and you can do that on 0491-064-669. That is 0491-064-669. Now, we mentioned in the intro uh, about some of the things we've talked about in this uh, series so far. And uh, if you would like to catch up with uh, those programs, the programs uh, we've recorded, they're on podcast. People can check them out. And uh, where do they go for the podcast, Danny? Uh, they go to the Faith FM website, which is faithfm.com.au. Go to the podcast section and look for two not so good looking people. Um, but Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> looking up, looking up is the podcast name and you'll be able to find them all there from the very beginning to now. All right. So, yeah. So if you want to check out any of the material that we've already covered, please do so. Uh, you might want to review something you've heard before uh, or you might want to share something that you've seen already or listened to already. You don't uh, see too much on radio, but uh, something that you might have heard. Well, we're going to have a piece of music now. We're going to uh, go to a tune by The Lower Lights, Go Down Moses. So listen up. Shall they in bondage toil? Let my 
The Lower Lights and Go Down Moses and uh, you're back listening to Faith FM and the afternoon show Looking Up with me Peter Watson, my good friend and co-host Danny Melenkov and usually in this part of the program Danny we just take a little look about what's happening in the world, what's happening in the news and uh, whether there is any connection between that and what Bible prophecy tells us, what uh, the Bible has to tell us in a general sort of way and then we're going to look at some more specifics in the second half of our show where we going to focus back on some of those messages in Revelation that we talked about. So what's been happening in the news that caught your eye this week? Well, there's been a lot happening, as always. One person, I remember sharing that there is more these days in one week's worth of news than there is in a year's worth of news, you know, in a normal year. But this year has been anything but normal. I guess a few things here, just, just at home, that our... Our listeners will be well well aware of, and that is that our treasurer is about to unroll the budget. Yep, it was delayed. It was supposed to be quite a while ago. There's uh, only so long you can delay. <laughs> That's right. So, um, so the delayed budget is about to is about to make its grand entrance into Australian life, and we have been told ahead of time that we are to expect a record $200 billion deficit. Yeah. Now, that's, that's, I don't know if you can imagine $200 million, let alone $200 billion. Well, you wouldn't have imagined, if you go back 12 months, you wouldn't have imagined that kind of, I mean, if, if anybody came out with a budget deficit of, <laughs> of $10 20, billion, Of $20 billion. You know, Yeah, no, $200 billion, uh, it would be, you would not be able to foresee the circumstances that would be necessary to roll out that kind of budget if we were talking 12 months ago. Mm. What's interesting to me is uh, just last night, uh, I think it was uh, Gladys Berejiklian, the Premier of New South Wales, said, um, you know, the thing we've learned in the last year is expect the unexpected. Mm, very interesting. I thought that was an interesting line. Very interesting. So I think this, this really taps into, you know, you mentioned how does this connect with what's going on in the world and and in particular, you know, signs related to the coming of Jesus. Mm. And it's very interesting. It's fascinating when you take a look at what Jesus said about his signs, the signs of the times. He talked about those labor pains intensifying mm. and some of those expect the unexpected uh, signs taking place and more rapidly so as we're near the coming of Jesus. It's interesting that in Luke 21 where we receive, uh, where we get our radio uh, 
show's name, looking up. It's there in Luke 21, verse 28. But Jesus there in the preceding verses, he, he says that the world will be filled with distress mm. and he says that nations will be experiencing perplexity mm-hmm. as well as men's hearts failing them from fear. So we're seeing, we're seeing all this and here in Australia, uh, yes, we have, we have this deficit and currently the government um, is assuring people that yes, we're going to get through to the other side, our economy is going to be stronger, we're going to start investing more so in, in, in industries uh, that are homegrown, uh, getting jobs back in Australia and so forth. However, we, we don't know how long this is going to last, Peter, and we don't know what's, what's, what's going to come next. Yeah. You know, if we've taken such a big hit mm. regarding this, what's, what's, what's going to happen next? And the book of James talks about, you know, in a very short space of time, the, the capital and the economy of this world is really going to go Yeah, uh, it talks south. about the gold and the silver being corroded, That's which, right. of course, doesn't naturally corrode. But the point is... What it's saying is that which is worth the most will soon evaporate. And not to mention Revelation 18, which yeah. we have been before. It talks about in one hour. Such great riches. Yeah, have, have come to nothing. So that, that's very interesting in the, in the context of Scripture. Also, Lindy Chamberlain, uh, this week in particular on... There's uh, a documentary. Yeah, there was a documentary. It was a Channel 10. I'm not sure. It was a, well, it's I didn't the 40th it. year, isn't it? It's the 40th yeah. year anniversary of the disappearance of Azaria Chamberlain. And that was the biggest case in Australian history mm. up until that point. I'm not yeah. sure if there has been a case that's you know, captured the attention of the nation more so. And I guess that really does illustrate, when you take a look at the evidence that she was convicted on, mm. you know, we, we can look back today 40 years later and we're like, how on earth did they convict her yeah. of murdering her baby? Uh, based on that evidence. But it just goes to show, Peter, and we've talked about the judgment, we've talked about the justice of God, that we can get things horribly wrong uh, from a human point of view, but not God. God will not get anything wrong. God is just, God is righteous, and all his judgments are just. It was fascinating. I was having a conversation about this very thing just yesterday, actually, in a, a Bible study I was doing with someone and saying how there's a verse in the Bible that says, the righteous judge... Talking about God being the righteous judge, and the fact that what that means is that when He judges, He gets it right. That's essentially what it means. And of course, when when God is making judgments, He has all the evidence in front of Him. Uh, God, nothing escapes His notice. There's nothing that's going to. He come doesn't in. need the forensic team. He doesn't need a. <laughs> he doesn't need a, a second inquest. He doesn't need a jury. You know, yeah. um, because there's a there is an investigation. There is a, all the evidence is available, and um, God will make a mm. right judgment. But yeah, I think the Linda Chamberlain interest, in, uh, story uh, illustrates how easily public opinion can be swayed by mass media as well. That's a good point. So, you know, I was talking to my friend yesterday about uh, conditioning and the fact that the world is being conditioned. There was a... Um, so, so you know, with the Linda Chamberlain uh, case, obviously the majority of the populace was convinced that she had done it. She'd committed the, the murder and she was ultimately convicted, put in jail... And, uh, and then, of course, more evidence comes to light and eventually she's released and eventually her name is cleared and so forth. But um, it is fascinating. I remember when the fourth inquest was handed down, I think it was 2010, and I, was, uh, I happened to be in a uh, doctor's waiting room at the time, uh, just waiting to go in to see a doctor and uh, 
you know, there's a bunch of people there and the radio was on and they were talking about this uh, fourth inquest, reporting on it, the handing down of this uh, verdict that totally exonerated the Chamberlains of any wrongdoing. And uh, there are a couple of ladies in there saying, I still think she did it. Wow. Because mud sticks, and once mm. you make the accusation, and when you've got that much media coverage, I wasn't even here in Australia when it occurred back in 1980, you know, through 1982. I was not even here at that point. But, you know, you can imagine, uh, I can imagine, all of the news coverage and all of the uh, the story that I've seen in, in documentaries since. Mm. And it's just, it, it points out to me how easy it is to convince people of something that is not right, you know. And uh, I was watching a, um, I saw a film called The Social Dilemma. Oh, yes, I which, started um, watching you that. You started watching yeah. that, yes. Yeah, so I've seen that film. It's on Netflix. I would encourage people, just check out the, the trailer alone. Um, but The Social Dilemma, it's, um, it's talking about how the major tech companies, the major social media companies, uh, it's actually people from those companies. So it's representatives who... Well, the former employees. Former employees who 10 years ago were involved in those uh, major social media um, companies. And so it talks about how uh, they designed some of the technology to be addictive, about how you know, f- uh, fake news is six times more likely to get passed on than true news. Isn't that fanatic? Yeah, I heard you that. Know? That was just fascinating. Well, somebody once said to me about the gospel, they said to me, the problem with the gospel is it's good news. <laughs> if, it was, if it was bad news, we'd have shared it a long yeah, time but, ago. Yeah, but you take a look at the news, Peter. Yeah. What, what is highlighted and, and, and what receives the most airtime on the news? It's the bad news. Yeah. You know, and by the way, oh, a little a little granny, a hundred years old, has been helping people for the last ninety five years of her life. Yeah, yeah. And that's at the end after There's the weather. There's a good news story. There's after a good 10 news bad after news stories. <laughs> no, it's true. And so, and, and you know, I guess human nature too. Sometimes we we're, we're uh, quite keen to pass on bad gossip, whereas we um, maybe are less enthusiastic about passing on good news. Mm. You know. And, uh, of course, the whole point of the gospel, the gospel means good news. The Bible talks about, you know, we're going to look at uh, the first angel's message in uh, the later part of our show, and that uh, talks about the everlasting gospel. This angel from heaven has the everlasting gospel. That's the everlasting good news about who God is, what he is doing, um, what he has done and what he is doing for humanity. And so, um, you know, some of those things, uh, you know, it's it's very easy for us too here, Danny, in the uh, studio to get carried away with the signs of the times and not talk about what God has done and what God is doing. Well, the gospel is that all-important sign that will usher in the coming of Jesus, according to Matthew The gospel to all the world. Exactly right, and that's what Revelation 14 is all about. There's one other item um, worth uh, just quickly highlighting. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about the perplexity and, and not knowing what to do, and that is mental health crisis. Yes. We have a mental health crisis, and I just came across an article today from a Melbourne GP. So Melbourne right there in the hot zone of, of the lockdown. And this GP was saying that compared to last year, this same time, she is seeing, she was seeing about three to five young people Mm. last year dealing with mental health issues. Today, she's dealing with 20 to 25. And uh, she and and a number of other doctors are saying, look, we've got to ease up on the restrictions because it's it's creating havoc when it comes to mental health and including our young children where 12-year-olds are contemplating suicide. Imagine you being a parent of a 12-year-old and your 12-year-old wants to, 
wants to check out, sadly, you know, they, they, they don't want to live anymore because they're not at school. They're, they're stuck at home and their lives are miserable and, and all the stuff going on. Well, in this documentary film, The Social Dilemma, they were talking about some of the consequences of the social media platforms that they have set up, and that is increased anxiety, increased depression, especially in young people who haven't developed uh, the experience and the skills to be able to deal with and those isolation things. and isolation and isolation well. and many of those things so, so connected but yet so isolated yeah that, that's so true so there's a verse here I want to share with people it's from Philippians 4 6 and 7 and uh, you know I've always appreciated these two verses it says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think the the one thing that many young people do not have at the moment, and that is hope. Mm. You know, that the Bible is filled with hope. The, the Bible tells us that there is a blessed hope, that God is in control. God knows what's happening in the world. He knows it's a catastrophe down here. But he, he also knows that uh, he has a plan to rescue the world. And uh, he, he's not coming back today. Um, because he's still waiting. He's waiting for people to make up their mind where they want to spend eternity. And I just think that if people had hope, um, it would be different. I, I grew up and went to the state school system back in the UK, and I didn't have a belief in God. And, and, and I, I, I sort of often wondered, well, what's it really all about? You know, I, be, I was taught and believed thoroughly molecules to man evolution. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in the program as well. Um, and when you taught that you're nothing but a bag of chemicals, that you there was no real plan or purpose in in the universe for you, and when you die, that's the end, and there's no other you know there's no purpose for you while you're here, and there's no future when you're gone. Um, I, I think that's a pretty hopeless message, mm. and uh, I think that you know many of the pressures that young people are feeling today. I just think that. Hope is the one thing that they, they lack, and I think it's the one thing that God provides. Absolutely. All right, so we could touch on another a number of other um, news stories. There's a lot of news stories coming out of the U.S. We mentioned earlier, Danny, we've got a couple of minutes before we go to another break. But um, one of them, you know, we've got more California wildfires. It seems like they've been going on for months, it seems like. I don't know about weeks. but And then there was um, one thing uh, that hit the news, of course, was COVID has passed one million cases uh, in the last uh, day or so, and it was interesting. I was listening to CoronaCast with Dr. Norman Swan on uh, ABC uh, this morning, and I, I usually listen to his 10-minute podcast every morning just to keep up to date with what's going on with CoronaCast. But he says that one million, of course, is the recorded cases with, with the testing and the figures. And then, of course, you've got many countries who just don't have the ability to record all the cases the way that, that many of the Western countries might have. And so he suggested that that figure may be between 7 and 10 million in terms of the number of people who've actually died from COVID-19 but are just slipping through the, the cracks. Absolutely. Well, yeah, carry on. Well, you go on. I, I was gonna, the other thing I was just going to mention um, is in regards to um, the Supreme Court nominee. In the US, and people might wonder, well, who really cares? Here we are in beautiful New South Wales. Who really cares what's going on in the US? Um, but you know what they say when America sneezes, the world catches a cold. And um, the reason this is important is because, of course, uh, the United States and many free countries believe in the separation of church and state. 
And uh, that's what gives us our freedom. We are at liberty to believe what we want to believe. And it's interesting to, to note the background of uh, the prospective Supreme Court nominee. We might talk a little bit about that after we're going to go to this break in the news. We're going to have a piece of music. We've got Josh White singing a song, He Is Able. Then we're going to have a news break and we will come back and talk some more after the break. Enjoy the music. He is able to keep us from stumbling. He is able when distances come between everything that we hold dear. He is able to draw us into deeper life. He is able to cut away like a knife. Everything that keeps us from Him Everything that keeps us from Him Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to Faith FM. You're listening to Looking Up, our afternoon show with me, Peter Watts, and my good friend and co-host, Danny Malenkov. Now, just before we went to the break, uh, we were just talking about some of the things that are happening in the news. And one of those things was uh, the Supreme Court nominee uh, for the United States, um, which is uh, Amy Comey Barrett. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, of course, is uh, Donald Trump's attempt to get through a Supreme Court nominee prior to the uh, U.S. election and uh, get her confirmed and so forth. And why, why is this important? Why does this make, uh, you know, why are we talking about this? What has this got to do with us? Well, we did talk uh, a few shows back about the role that the United States will play in terms of end times events. We see uh, the United States clearly depicted there in the second half of Revelation chapter 13, where worship ultimately will be enforced. There will be a religious uh, law enforced, and we believe that the United States will be the power that does that. And what's significant about that, of course, is that the U.S. Constitution uh, does not permit the the U.S. government to impose uh, any religious law upon its citizens. Uh, you know, that's part of... Uh, the First Amendment. The First Amendment. And so um, in order for that to change, they're basically going to have to do away with uh, the Constitution. But ultimately, too, what, what is interesting in terms of the makeup of the Supreme Court right now, you have um, six people who are uh, either Roman Catholics or favourable to the Roman Catholic point of view, and there, are three, uh, there were three Jews... Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, passed away recently, of course, and uh, she was a, a Jewish lady. And um, now, if if this nominee is approved, you'll have a seven-two majority of uh, Roman Catholics to Jews, seven-two, uh, and not a single Protestant, Danny, on the Supreme Court, which is quite remarkable when you consider that, that the U.S. <laughs> was set up pretty much as a Protestant nation. Well, it was. Yeah. It was. It's, it's grounded and founded on the principles of Protestantism. And the, the United States was, by and large, formed by individuals who were fleeing persecution there in the old Religious world. persecution. Religious persecution from the Church of Rome, as well as uh, the Anglican Church mm. or the Church of England. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically the established church of the, the day. The state church. The state church. Yeah, the state church back in their homeland. Yeah. And they were fleeing that persecution and they came to the shores of... Of the new world. Seeking freedom. Seeking freedom. And for the first, I guess, 150 years, Peter, a lot of people don't realise from about, you know, the early 1600s mm. all the way till 1776 when when the Constitution was, was finally um, formed. Yep, and independence. Uh, yeah, exactly. So for those first 150 years, we have a colonial America and sadly they brought in many of their their religious laws and practices from the old world. Mm. And so that's why this is very significant because the First Amendment did away. Yeah, it guarantees. With, it, it guarantees freedom of religion, freedom of speech, yeah. and uh, freedom to congregate, uh, freedom to protest, and so on and so forth. So that's, so that's, that's the very First Amendment. Yeah. That's so like their foundation. Let's bring this into focus a little bit because people might be saying, well, you know, that was then. It's very difficult, I suppose, for us who have lived in comparative freedom uh, for all of our lives. Um, I mean, even the Second World War 
Uh, we haven't seen a conflict of that scale uh, in our lifetime, Danny. And so um, it's very hard, I think, for people to imagine uh, what it would be like if uh, religion dominated the state. Um, and of course, you know, when we think of some of the more um, more uh, conservative, shall we say, uh, Islamic regimes mm-hmm. in the world. And we've been to a couple. And we've been to a couple of those countries. We've been to Iran where they have religious police as they well do. as secular police. And so, uh, you know, when we think, you know, when the Western world thinks of those countries, we think, oh, you know, we're, we're glad we're not in that situation where the, the, the government mandates religious law. Um, but, of course, that's exactly what was happening in the the medieval period uh, throughout Europe, uh, where you have uh, the church dominating the state, dominating people's lives from the cradle to the grave, and uh, dictating how people will live and how they will worship. And, uh, of course, we, we probably sit today thinking, wow, that could never happen in the free Western world. Uh, and yet, of course, uh, talk about expect the unexpected. Uh, this year we have discovered that uh, here we are, thinking everything is you know relatively normal and suddenly due to covid everything's turned on its head and and we're passing laws and we're complying with laws uh that we would never have imagined 12 months ago and so the point we would make here i guess is uh, bible prophecy is never wrong and so whilst we uh, haven't arrived there yet uh we can see where it's pointing us to and uh, yeah expect the unexpected it probably is something we would never expect that to happen, but expect the unexpected. And I think there's an interesting statement that our Prime Minister made toward the beginning of COVID when when sanctions, should I say, not not so much sanctions, but restrictions, when Mm. restrictions were being imposed, the lockdown right around Australia, right at the beginning. And I remember what he said, this one statement, I haven't forgotten it, he said, unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures. Yes. And so what he was saying was that, yes, under normal circumstances... We we're not going to pass these rules. Exactly yeah, right. And we're not going to stop you from going to church sure. under normal circumstances because you have freedom yeah. to congregate, be it church, be it in a mosque, be it in a... In a, in a be it in, in a, a protest. Be it in a Jewish synagogue, be it a protest. Mm. Exactly right. You have the right to protest. But because of what's going on, mm. we cannot allow you to exercise those liberties. Mm. And so under normal circumstances, what we read in Revelation 13, that there would be religious laws passed in America that would clearly go against the First Amendment and that those and that, that religious um, persecution will be worldwide. It's not just in the United States, Peter. Sure. Uh, We've got, we got to remind listeners that this is right around the world. The Bible says that uh, these laws, this, this, this religious law will be imposed on people on the entire planet upon rich and poor, free and slave. Yeah. Uh, and so, and so, under 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 an absolute Sworn unprecedented time, under an unprecedented time, that will happen. It's interesting. Um, I, I came across this article from Fox News, and the title really caught my attention from the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr, and this was the title of this Fox News article. Barr says. Notion of separation of church and state misunderstood because of militant secularists. Mm. So he's saying that we have misunderstood this notion of separation of church and state because 
what's happening now, according to according to the Attorney General, is that secularism has taken over and it's now dominated. is dominating, and now the church is being persecuted. And we have, you know, prayer going out the window. We have uh, the abortion issue uh, that's really heated up and and marriage and so on and so forth. And what he's saying is that there is a role for the church and the state to play together. Mm -hmm. And this is ominous for what's what's coming up. Sure. Yes, it is. Well, I think what we should do, Danny, is uh, segue now into our, our study for today. And that is that we had been looking at... Uh, we had started to look at the what is called the three angels' messages. They're found in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. And they outline messages that God is sending to the world just prior to the return of Jesus. Because in uh, Revelation 14, verse 14, we see the description of Jesus coming as a reaper, ready to reap a harvest. And so these three messages that are recorded in verses 6 to 12 go to all the world just before Christ returns. And we've uh, already read through most of the first angel's message. We're going to come to the closing point of that. So I'm going to read it out again. Maybe you can uh, read this, Danny. We're going to go to Revelation 14, maybe read 6 and 7, and then we'll just do a little bit of a catch-up on where we've been so far. Mm, Sure. So this is Revelation 14, and I'm beginning in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. All right. Thanks, Danny. I appreciate that. Um, So we have covered uh, pretty much... Most of this first message, we're going to come to the last sort of sentence of it. But uh, just in review, you've got an angel. This is a a heavenly messenger flying that's moving swiftly, um, which which indicates this is an urgent message. And, of course, it would be urgent because a little later on in the chapter we see Jesus return. So Mm. if you've got something to say, God's wanting to say it now. Um, God's wanting to issue what you might, what we might call, and we, as we read through the three angels' messages, we recognise this is God's last warning to the world. Uh, God is about to bring an end to the sorry uh, chapter of sin and destruction and um, despair on planet Earth, and He's declaring that Jesus is coming soon, and He wants people to get ready for that event. So it's an urgent message. Um, he's flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, that's the everlasting good news about God, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. As you rightly say, Danny, this affects everybody. This is not a local uh, message. It's not a local um, issue at the end of time. It's going to be the issue over worship, and we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, But saying with a loud voice, Okay, this is not a whisper. This well, is word, why we're broadcasting over the airwaves. Well, well the original words there, mm. Peter, loud voice, uh, the word loud is mega voice is phone. So mm. you put those two words together, mega phone, we get the English word megaphone. That's right. From those two words. So we all, we all understand what a megaphone yeah. is used for. So this first angel is saying a mes- shouting out a message with a loud voice, with a megaphone. Fear God, that's take God seriously. Treat him with respect and reverence. Give glory to him. We should live lives that give glory to God, especially in an age where it's all about glory for me. You know, I I saw an ad, uh, you know, America's Got Talent and all of these shows which are all about glorifying the individual. Mm. And, you know, I'm not unappreciative of the talents that God has given to people. 
Um, but it, it, so it just seems to me that it's all about glorifying an individual, um, whereas we, we should be glorifying the God who gave us those talents. Mm, that's right. Um, so fear God, give glory to him um, in, in an era where you know people are, are not necessarily giving glory to God. And it says, for the hour of his judgment has come. There is a time period here, the hour of his judgment has come. There is a timing of the heavenly judgment. And we spent two or three um, episodes, two or three podcasts, talking about the judgment, what the judgment's all about, how God is going to bring about justice, um, talking about the fact that the judgment has begun already. And we looked in the last uh, few meetings about the timing of that judgment. And we discovered that uh, when we understand Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, and Daniel chapter 9, there's a 2,300-year period for the cleansing of the sanctuary and for the judgment to occur and we discovered the starting point of that and we found that the the judgment began in 1844 and of course that fits perfectly with what we read in Daniel 7 where the judgment occurs after the appearance of the little horn which we've caught, uh, identified as the papacy but before the second coming so it's 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 after that uh, uh 1260 years of papal supremacy we talked about which ended in 1798 which ended in 1798 so you're really talking about the hour of his judgment this judgment scene depicted in Daniel 7 must take place after 1798 but before the second coming mm. and of course 1844 uh, also fits that uh time specific so when it says the hour of his judgment has come what's what's important about that element for me is we, it gives us a time frame around the, the appearance of this first angel's message. This first angel's message is appearing at the time of the hour of his judgment. Mm. Okay, so now we want to move on to the section uh, of the first angel that we haven't yet talked about, which is, um, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of waters. And uh, we've got a, a minute uh, to talk about this and then we're going to go to some music and then we'll come back and talk about it in the second section. But I just wanted to note that word worship. Mm. That's, a key, that's a key term that appears all the way word. through over 20 times that appears in the book of Revelation. Right. And what's fascinating is I think it's eight times that it appears in Daniel, uh, sorry, in Revelation 13 and 14. It does, yeah, eight times. So this is the key Issue and, and so if you like, there's an invitation in the first angel's message to worship the true God, the God of heaven, the God who created the world. Uh, it's a call back to worship him. And we're going to t- unpack in our next segment after the song, what is worship really all about? What, is the word, what does worship really mean? Um, and how do we know if we're worshiping God or not and so forth? So we're going to go to another song. This is the gay, the vocal band we're going to be listening to. And it's uh, I'm going to sing. So maybe you can sing along to this one. We'll be back in a moment. I'm going to sing just as long as it takes for a song to make sad, heavy spirits free. I'm going to keep making music that carries the secret that Jesus is liberty. I'm going to turn off the sound that would drag people down to the pit of despondency. With a sweet, happy tune, he is coming soon for his children like you and me. It's a song that will carry a message along through the densest of foggy nights. And a tune is the rope that can throw a man hope when he's going down for the third time. It's a sweet melody that can cut your heart free from the chains of a past defeat. 
You can suddenly see through the sweet harmony A path for your wandering feet I'm gonna sing just as long as it takes For a song to make sad, heavy spirits free I'm gonna keep making music that carries the secret That Jesus is liberty I'm gonna turn off the sounds that would drag people down To the pit of despondency With a sweet happy tune he is coming soon For his children like you and me Don't tell me the world is a hopeless old place And I might as well just give in To the doom and gloom life's a waiting room For the blow that'll do us all in I can't sympathize when before my eyes Is a hope shining bright as day I gotta follow the song that keeps drawing me on With my feet dancing all the way I'm gonna sing just as long as it takes For a song to make sad, heavy spirits free I'm gonna keep making music that carries the secret That Jesus is liberty I'm gonna turn off the sounds that would drag people down To the pit of despondency With a sweet happy tune he is coming soon For his children like you You were listening to the Gaither Vocal Band, and I'm going to sing, and uh, we hope you enjoyed that. Well, welcome back uh, to our listeners. You have joined us on Faith FM for our afternoon program, Looking Up, with me, Peter Watts, and my good friend and co-host, Danny Malenkov. And uh, we were talking about the first angel's message that we find there in Revelation chapter 14. Uh, There are three angel's messages there, Revelation 14, 6 through 12. And uh, we've just been reading through, again, the first angel's message, which we find there in Revelation 14, 6 and 7. And we were coming to the last sentence, really, of that first angel's message, which says, Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And that idea of worship we mentioned um, appears many times in the book of Revelation, but particularly in the center there of Revelation, in chapter 13 and chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, we see the word worship appear eight different times. And uh, the issue at the end of time, if you hear nothing else on our broadcast today, the issue at the end of time, according to Bible prophecy, is going to be about worship, who, when, and how you worship. 
And uh, that is what the battle uh, is over at the end of time. And the devil is uh, wanting to divert people's worship away from Christ and towards Antichrist. Or towards himself. It's towards himself. Ultimately. Antichrist is, is serving, I guess, as a puppet That's right. of, of the devil. And, um, and the Bible talks about that. It talks about um, you know, the people wondering, they worship the beast and they worship the dragon. Who says. gave power to the beast. Yeah, yeah we've got to remember that the Bible is very clear in Isaiah chapter 14 that at the, I mean, rebellion took place in heaven because Lucifer, God's leading angel, the one that was the leader of all the angels that God had created, he wanted to be like the Most High. Yeah. Revelation 14, oh, sorry, uh, Isaiah sorry. 14 verse 14 says yeah. that. And so you have this galactic battle that began in heaven, but that is transferred here down on earth. And yeah. ever since then, uh, Lucifer, who became the devil and Satan, that serpent of old called mm. the devil, according to Revelation twelve nine, he has always wanted worship and he wanted worship from Christ. Yeah. He told yeah. Jesus, he told Jesus. If you just bow down and worship. I'll give you this whole world. Yeah. And so he's always wanted worship, but he's never come out. He is called cunning yes. in, in Genesis. Subtle. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, you know, the serpent was more cunning. And so he deceived Eve, not not by showing himself mm. for who he is, but he deceived Eve through the serpent. So Satan has always worked through a front man. He has always had institutions, individuals that he has used in order to, to gain access to the human mind and heart in order that we who are created in God's image would worship him rather than our creator. Yeah. And he seeks to do that through deception. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, we, we've noted that both in uh, the, the uh, outside of the Christian faith and then inside of the Christian faith, the devil has used persecution as a weapon to try and just wipe out believers and when that has failed, he's used deception. That's right. There is two uh, favorite tactics. Yeah, and we've seen that both outside of the church with the pagan Roman Empire, and then we've seen it within the church as well, where persecution was uh, the name of the game in the mid, mid um, medieval period, and now it's more deception. Um, but but what's interesting in terms of worship, the, the word worship itself is made uh, from two uh, English words, worth and ship. And it really means uh, it's basically about uh, to what do we attribute greatest worth? In other words, what is worth the most to you and I uh, and to our listeners? And uh, the, the bottom line is whatever it is that is of greatest worth to us, is that is what we worship. That's really ultimately what it is. So... You know, I think sometimes we'll say, well, I want God in my life and I'm, you know, he doesn't come first. He might come third or fifth on the list, but I want God in my life, right? But if he doesn't come first on your list, then you don't worship God, you worship something else. Mm. And whoever is first, whatever is first on your list of priorities in life, that is what you worship. And so that's interesting and important to understand. Uh, and of course, there is this battle of worship that we see We've talked a little bit about Revelation 13 in some in past programs, just to uh, highlight to people um, briefly to recap, I suppose. In Revelation 13, you have two major powers depicted by two beasts. A beast in Bible prophecy represents a kingdom, a nation, a political power. We get that from Daniel chapter 7. It tells us that. 
And we see that symbolism, you know, these beasts used to represent political powers in Daniel 7. We use it, we see it used in Daniel chapter 8. We see it used again here in Revelation chapter 13, where you have two major political powers represented by these beast, uh, beast creatures. They're symbolic. Uh, and we still do that today, by the way. You know, uh, we, we call the Australian rugby team the Wallabies. You know, that's a beast. That's an animal. It's a creature. But we equate it with a nation, just like we do the Kiwis, right? Um, so we've done this, you know, we still do it today and God has done it in the past. That's right. And I think, I think it's really important to, to notice you asked, you know, regarding worship. Yes. You know, who is worthy uh, to receive our allegiance? Yeah. And I believe here in the text is the answer. It says, worship him. And I'm looking at Revelation 14, 7, the end of the first angel's message. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Mm. In other words, the one who is worthy of worship is the creator God. Right. He is the creator. And this is really fascinating because these words are pulled out of the Old Testament. Yes. Uh, there, are, there are many allusions or quotations or words or phrases that are taken out of the Old Testament. Before you go there, because I know where you're headed, and we're going to go there because this is very integral to why it's part of the three angels' messages, right? We're going to go there in a moment. But I want to, in that context of saying why is God, why is God worthy of worship? Because he's the creator. I want to just pull us back to another verse in Revelation, Revelation mm. 4.11. We want to take a look at that first, and then we're going to pick up on that point you were going to make about where those words from that verse in uh, Revelation 14 7 come from but if we go back to revelation 4 verse 11 maybe danny you want to read sure. that out it says you are worthy O lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created all right so this is interesting because we we just said that worship was that which you uh, bestow greatest worth upon what is, it, what is that that is of greatest worth to you? And it says here, you are worthy, O Lord. Talking about the God of heaven, you are worthy. Why? To receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So this is telling us one of the reasons, probably the foundational reason. There are other reasons why God is worthy of worship, but this is the foundational reason. He is the one who gave life to the universe. He's the one that gave living beings life. He's the one who made the world. He's the one who made the universe. So for that reason alone, uh, he is worthy of worship. I think it's very interesting. Uh, I want to just read one more verse sure. uh, to I add did, to that. I did want to pick up on something in this verse, Peter, oh, go ahead. before you run off to that, yeah. the next verse. It says, And by your will they exist and were created. Mm. By your will they exist and were created. That's, that, that's fascinating language here mm. that's being used. And I understand this to mean that not only are we created by God, mm. but we are sustained by God. That's right. In other words... Every breath that we breathe, every heartbeat comes from God. It's a gift from God. Without if God, God had not made the environment in which we live in, he could have made us alive, but we'd have died instantly because there was no air. And if God <laughs> were to pull back right now, if God were to pull yeah. back 
his sustaining power upon us and upon this world, we would instantaneously cease to exist. The universe would spin out of control. That's what it says here. And by your will, they exist and were created. Mm. So we exist only because of God and his mercy and his sustaining power. So we're created and we're sustained by God. Yeah. And so that that verse there tells us why God is worthy of worship. There's one other verse in uh, the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 12. Mm. Uh, which I'll get you to read as well, because it also tells us why uh, why he is worthy of worship as well. Okay, so this is now in reference to to God the Son, and you could probably Lamb. read five through twelve through fourteen. Sure. Saying with a loud voice, once again, we've got that phrase, loud, loud voice, voice, the megaphone, megaphone. megaphone. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him. There's that word again. Who lives forever and ever. All right. So I just wanted to throw this in here because the Lamb in the book of Revelation is Jesus Uh, John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus came and yielded up his life as a sacrifice for sin, here it's telling us he's worthy because he's the Lamb who was slain. Right. So God is worthy of worship because he's creator. He's also worthy of worship because he's the redeemer. Mm. He's the one who has saved us. But we're going to go back to that idea of creation because we want to dash back to Revelation 14 and verse 7 once again. And I'll read that uh, last sentence of the message there again. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of waters. We've already established that God is worthy of worship because he is the creator. And uh, you were going to mention something about these words here, who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of waters. Yes, I was, Peter. These words uh, are a direct quote out of the fourth commandment. That's where we find them. Where do we find that fourth commandment? Exodus chapter 20, Mm -hmm. the famous Ten Commandments. And if we go to Exodus chapter 20, we'll discover this language comes out of the fourth commandment at the end of Exodus chapter 20. And I'm going there as we speak, and I believe it's about verse 11. Yes, If I'm not mistaken, yes. So Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. Notice the, the language here that is used at the end of the fourth commandment. Would you like me to read that, Peter? Please go right ahead, Danny. Okay. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So there's that same language that's same used. Language. You know, we so it's word, the, for word for word, when it says made the heavens and the earth, the sea, those words are exactly the same in, in that phraseology. In fact, uh, I'm sure that you've picked this up too, Danny. I, I have a copy of the Greek New Testament. So the New Testament of the Bible is written in Greek. I've got a copy of that Greek New Testament from when we uh, went to college and we studied the original languages. I think it's called the Septuagint. Uh, well, the Old Testament is called the Septuagint, but the New Testament is um, the Old Testament translation of the Old Testament into Greek is called the Septuagint. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. But I have a New Testament in, in Greek. But when you get to this passage in Revelation 14, verse 7, uh, where it says, Worship him who made heavens and earth, there is a little sort of, um, sort of asterisk next to that phrase, and you go to the bottom of the page, and it says, 
This is taken from Exodus 20, verse 11. Wow. That's in my Greek New Testament. Now, I can tell you the church that I belong to didn't print the Greek New Testament <laughs> that is there. But So that's a, that's a fact. And so the point is the writer of Revelation, which is John, he is being inspired to use language that is intended to direct us back to that passage in Exodus that just you just read that references the fourth commandment. The reason God set aside the seventh day as a holy day was as a memorial to creation. Mm, that's exactly okay? right. Okay, and so when we talk about the seventh day Sabbath in the Ten Commandments, uh, God explains very clearly there that he wants us to remember it, he wants us to keep it holy, but there's a reason behind it. It's not an arbitrary rule. It's not a just, well, I feel like it's going to be Thursday this week. No, God is, God is not arbitrary about him identifying which day he wants to be the Sabbath because it's actually based on an historical event, which is God creating for those six days and then resting on the seventh. And therefore, he calls us to work for six days and to rest on the seventh. So... When it talks about God being worthy of worship, it tells us to worship him as the creator. It tells us here now, how do we worship him as creator? And the way in which we worship him as creator is by remembering that memorial to creation each week, which is the seventh day Sabbath. Fascinating. We'll come back and talk some more about that in a moment. We're going to listen to Jeff Morris, Jesus. What a beautiful name. What a great song title. Mm, beautiful.
you were listening to Jeff Morris and the song Jesus what a beautiful name and I couldn't agree more you're listening to Faith FM and this is the afternoon show looking up with me Peter Watts and my good friend and co-host Danny Malenkov if you would like to call in or uh, maybe leave a message a comment or even a question you can call us on 1-800-324-843 that's 1-800-324-843 or you can text on 0491 064669 0491 064669 so uh, please uh, check that out also if you want to uh, catch up with any of our previous podcasts you can do so at the website faithfm.com.au go to the podcast tab and look out for looking up with Peter and Danny Danny before we went to the break there we were talking about um, worshipping God uh, because he is the creator. Uh, it's based on a historical event that God created in six days and then rested on the, the seventh day, and that's why he indicated the Sabbath for us. And uh, you wanted to say a little bit more about the significance of that. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned uh, before we went to the break that we cannot just worship or set aside a day of worship that is convenient for us. Uh, whatever that day may be, for God has very specifically said the seventh day. Well, why even one day a week? Why not once a month or once a year? Exactly. So the the reason is very clear, and that is because the significance of the seventh day is it comes to us from, from creation week, where after six days God created the world and he rested on the seventh day. And that would be the same as the way we celebrate and the way we remember and the way the way we affirm uh, significant days in our history. And for example, here in Australia, April 25 is very significant mm. in Australia's history. It's probably considered Australia's most sacred day. I would say so. Uh, I would say. Even, I've taken part in Anzac Day Yeah, exactly, Anzac Day. And it's, and it's always April 25, whether yeah. it, whether it uh, happens on a Sunday or a Monday or yeah. a Wednesday, yeah. Saturday, it makes no difference. April 25 is the day that we pause. And it's interesting, lest we forget mm. uh, those famous words, we remember the Anzacs who, on April 25, uh, made their way onto Anzac Cove. Stormed the beach. That's exactly right. We've been on that beach, Danny, you and I. Yes, we have, Anzac Cove. And so it's specific because it means something extremely important. Mm. The same goes for Australia Day. Australia Day is January 26th. Right. You know, we can't just celebrate Australia Day on, on March 31 or July 3 or whatever the case may be. Mm. It's like your birthday. It's significant on a very Wedding specific anniversary. Day. Wedding anniversary and so on and so forth. So the reason, the reason, according to Scripture, we pause on the seventh day, which is Saturday, to remember our Creator is because this is the day that He has set aside. He designates That's the bottom us. line. He has set the day aside. So mm. that's not up to us to, to decide. It which is the day... Lord's day, not your day. Exactly right. <laughs> so I think that's really important to remember. Yeah, no, I think that that's a very valid point. So just going to uh, read through that first angel's message again, saying with a loud voice, saying with a megaphone, Fear God and give glory to him, 
For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So the first of these three angels' messages, there's, there's this three angels' messages go to all the world just before Jesus comes. The first one is a call back to worshipping the God of heaven, the God of creation. And the timing of this message, I think, Danny, is very significant. Because we have you know, spent uh, a few of our previous episodes talking about the timing of that judgment, the hour of his judgment has come. Uh, so it's actually there's a, using a, a, a time reference there. The hour of his judgment has come. And uh, we, we uh, went into Scripture, Daniel chapter 7, 8, and 9, and we have uh, understood that the, the judgment began in heaven in 1844, according to Daniel chapter 8, 14. And so if that's the case, then we know when this first angel's message is being delivered. And I think the significance to that, what was happening in the world around 1844, and why would this message be particularly important? And so maybe you can take off on some thoughts. I've got a few thoughts we'll, we'll share. Sure. Well, this period of, of, of history is very significant. Mm. This, is, this is like a pivotal point. There's in, a paradigm shift this is a, in the 19th yeah, century. Absolutely, absolutely. There, there, there's no questions. Um, so you have, you have the period of the Dark Ages coming to an end. You have the period of papal supremacy coming to an end with the expiry of that 1260-year prophecy, which ended in 1798, yep. we, which culminated with uh, what was happening in France at the time. We have the French Revolution. And the French Revolution, in a nutshell, is, is the people rising up uh, in protest against this church-state relationship that had ruled and reigned in France and, and modern Europe for, for over a millennia. The, the church-state relationship had become toxic. Absolutely. It? And the people who were, I guess, in many ways the victims of the church-state relationship um, decided they just about had enough. That's right. And uh, I think, yeah, what what I – and feel free to, to jump in and, and uh, I'm jumping on your bandwagon here, Dan. But That's all right. I'll be patient. I, I think in France particularly, so you had a kind of – we talk about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I think what we have in France is because the, uh, the relationship between the state and the – uh, church had become so toxic and it was really um, corrupting the gospel. It was corrupting what people knew about God um, or, or what their view of God was, that they really did throw the baby out with the bathwater. In other words, instead of just throwing out the, the papal system and the aristocracy that was uh, oppressing them, they threw out Christianity altogether as well, well. They were burning Bibles. Yeah. They were burning Bibles, the age of reason. Yep. They had the goddess of reason. We don't need God. We have our own goddess. Uh, marriage The age of well. rationalism. Yeah, the, 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 the institution of marriage was really Under thrown threat. out. Yeah, it was basically almost thrown out the window mm. as far as its significance and importance. Why? Because marriage is associated with the biblical account yeah. in creation. Yeah. Uh, you also have the, the seven-day week, which was a nuisance. Which was because, challenged. Because yeah. the, only, the only place we find the seven-day week is the in the Scriptures. That's okay? the origin with, of with, the With creation. Day. So they introduced the 10-day week, which didn't go very well for very long, but they yeah. did. They yeah. introduced the 10-day week. 
So you have you have the age of the Enlightenment, mm. uh, where where you have all these uh, thinkers coming through. Um, so indi- what was the results of that? This this French Revolution, when that was occurring, and they were throwing off uh, the yoke of the aristocracy in their state, they were throwing off the yoke of the papal power in their state. They they decided to throw out Christianity and, and many of its values at that time. What what were the I guess the results of that, what came out of the French Revolution that has influenced the world that we know today? Well, I guess probably the big one is secularism. Right. Uh, that's that's really where we get our origins, not to mention, you know, we'll probably talk about, you know, probably it's a good time to talk about like Darwinism, you yeah. know, the, the evolutionary thought and belief. We had many that challenged the biblical view before Darwin in different ways, but obviously Darwin is the one mm. credited with, with pulling some of those ideas together. Yep. And, um, and, and that's where it really, you know, Yeah, so Darwin publishes his uh, book on the origin of species in 1859, but he had actually uh, written the draft in 1844. And it's fascinating to think about the timing of this message where it says, um, worship him who made, you know, the hour of his judgment has come, 1844, uh, and worship him who made heaven and earth, a a return to worshipping the creator at at the very time when a message is being born that popularizes the idea that God didn't create mm. and therefore he's not worthy of our worship. If God didn't create, if he's not the creator, he's not worthy of worship, right? Because, you know, we got here all by ourselves, you know, um, and, uh, you know, in other words, you know, the Bible talks about worshipping the creature rather than the creator. So why would you pause every seventh day to remember the creator? When he if, didn't create. Well, if he didn't create. So there's, yeah. so there's no purpose and no it point for the Sabbath. The, yeah, it called into question the history of Genesis. It did. And uh, I, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think even many, you know, a lot of Christians may not realise the significance of the first few chapters of Genesis for as the basis for all that follows after it. That's right. In other words, certainly Jesus understood Genesis as fact. He understood Genesis as history. He understood Adam and Eve as real people. You can see that in his comments in the, in the Gospels. Um, so, you know, Jesus isn't trying to reinterpret history. Jesus isn't trying to change history. Jesus understood as the one who inspired that scripture that that history is foundational to everything else that we build upon it. And it's interesting, Peter, during that period of time, we have another of, uh, uh, and, you know, some, some other important developments that are taking place that are going to shape world thinking. You have spiritualism, modern day spiritualism um, coming to the fore during the, the early part of the 19th century. Uh, we, we also have uh, the advent of, of, of mass media beginning to, to, to really take shape through the printing of books. So knowledge is, is really increasing. And so we... And expanding. Yeah. Expanding. We have universities and so forth, uh, you know, education, higher learning educations that are, that are sharing more and more on this Darwinian theory of evolution, secularism, the age of reason, enlightenment, and so on and so forth. So there's... There's, there's this rationalistic thinking um, that is becoming more and more pervasive. And so that is beginning to take over. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. During so, this time. So you have these two movements yeah. going head to head. 
Yeah, and you also have, I mean, we've talked about there are a number of other movements that take place around that time. You know, you've got the rise of Mormonism, you've got the rise of spiritualism, you've got the rise of communism, um, you've got a, the rise of a lot of other uh, contradictory movements, if you like, that in some ways are muddying the waters around uh, what God is trying to get out as his message at that particular time. And so um, we've... Um, yeah, so we've looked at that first angel's message. I think that next week we will move into the second of those three angel's messages. I just wanted to uh, mention to our listeners that we've had a few issues with our phones, uh, but they are now resolved. So uh, if you weren't able to get through and you've been trying to, we apologise for that. Um, and we uh, think we fixed the problem. And so I'm going to give out the phone number again, which is uh, 1-800-324-843, 1-800-324-843, or text 0491-064-669. Now, um, some, someone has uh, written in a question in regards to um, the context of Revelation, um, given the opening and closing verses. And I guess that is in uh, reference to the fact that the time is near, shortly coming to pass, um, and you know, talking about the context of this. And I think we had a question last week, uh, which we are very grateful for, that our listeners are uh, interacting and sending in questions. But I think um, maybe um, we're going to go to a break in a couple of minutes, but we'll come back, I think, Danny, and we'll talk about how we understand um, prophetic... Um, the prophetic writings of Daniel and Revelation. And we can talk about, we, we are approaching it, I guess, in our, our series, we've been talking about it from an historicist perspective. And we want to talk a little bit about what that means and why that's important. There are other schools of interpretation for, uh, you know, eschatological writings or apocalyptic literature uh, that part, those parts of literature in the scripture that, that deal with end time events now uh, you know some some have suggested that really these are dealing with things that happened centuries nay thousands of years ago um, and so by us applying to them uh, us to applying them to modern times then we're we're missing the point we want to have a look at some of the um, I guess consequences of that if if we applied a different school of interpretation to these prophecies, uh, where does the the school that you know the the, the idea of the, inter the historicist interpretation that we're placing on these prophecies? Um, why do we think that that's valid? Um, and so we're going to take a, a look at that. I think um, after we come back after the break. So what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to go some more music. Then we're going to news on the hour once again, and we will be coming back for a, another fifteen minute segment uh, prior to wrapping up the program. And I think it's worth investigating that a little bit, Danny. Indeed, so indeed. Uh, we're going to be talking about historicism. We're going to be talking about preterism. We're going to be talking about futurism. We're even going to talk about idealism. And uh, I think that's worth talking about those things because it makes a big difference mm. as to how we understand that which has been written for us. So stay tuned, folks. We're going to take some music. We'll have a news break. We're going to listen to Torren Wells and a song called Known. inside 
Tell me I can start again And I don't need to keep on hiding I'm fully known And loved by you You won't let go No matter what I do And it's not one or the other It's hard truth and ridiculous grace To be known, fully known And loved by you I'm fully known And loved by you It's so like you to keep pursuing It's so like me to go astray But guard my heart with your truth The kind of love that's bulletproof And I surrender to your kindness Oh, I'm fully known And loved by you You won't let go No matter what I do And it's not one or the other It's hard truth and ridiculous grace To be known, fully known And loved by you I'm fully known and loved by you. How real, how wide, how rich, how high is your heart? I cannot find the reasons why you'd give me so much. How real, how wide, how rich, how high is your heart? Now I cannot find the reasons why you'd give me so much. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Faith FM and our afternoon show, Looking Up, with me, Peter Watts, and my good friend and co-host, Danny Malenkov. And uh, Danny, just before we left, um, we talked a little bit about different schools of interpretation. I'm going to sort of set this up a little bit, and then you can uh, feel free to dive in and make comments um, as, as you feel. So... What we have been talking about in terms of uh, our radio show and the podcast that we've made over the last many weeks is we approach scripture in terms of Bible prophecy from the perspective of historicism. That is that the prophecy is given at the time of the writer and that the prophecy is given through the time scale from the time of the writer through to the end of time or the second coming of Christ and that it is fulfilled through history. And I think we have good reason for believing that that's an appropriate way to interpret prophecy. When we look at Daniel chapter 2, for instance, and the image there that we've covered in one of our previous programs, the, the king 
of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He dreams of this great image, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay, and then this great supernatural stone, a stone cut out without hands, comes and smashes the image at its feet and turns uh, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron and the, the clay into dust uh, and then uh, becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. And so we believe that, now Daniel is very clear in that prophecy, he says, you, O king, are this head of gold. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, who's having the dream, his kingdom of Babylon is that head of gold. And then he says, after you shall come another kingdom inferior of yours, then a third kingdom, then a fourth kingdom, then the kingdom shall be divided. There'll be some parts that are strong, some parts that are weak. And then we see God's kingdom established. And when God's kingdom is established, none of the other kingdoms exist anymore. Okay, so that, it seems to me, takes us through to the end of time. Um, That's the historicist interpretation of that prophecy essentially historicist uh, application is from the time of the writer through history to the end of time then there were two other schools of interpretive interpretation that were developed around the time of the late 16th early 17th century uh, a time uh, what we would call the counter-reformation Okay, now we probably need to unpack. We will un- unpack that in a moment. Why it's called the Counter-Reformation. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation. Mm. But these schools of thought were, one was preterism and the other was futurism. And preterism basically suggests that the prophecies are fulfilled in the past around the time of the writer. That's when those prophecies are fulfilled. And that's preterism, pre, meaning before, and so before our time. Okay, that's preterism. Futurism sees prophecy being fulfilled sometime in the future. Okay, so it's kind of interesting because historicism, in my humble opinion, incorporates the best bits of preterism and futurism and and covers history at the same time. Um, But you've got these two uh, other interpretations, preterism and futurism. And then finally, more recently, you have idealism. And that is a spiritual approach or an allegorical approach to prophecy. Um, so, uh, for instance, the, the beast in Revelation is no one kingdom of power, but represents evil powers throughout any generation. So it's a kind of general application, but not a specific one. So talk about the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation, and particularly how these two schools of interpretation, preterism and futurism, emerged. Okay, we could spend a lot of time. We could, on this. but we don't have time. We don't have the time. But but simply uh, the the Reformation, the the term Reformation uh, comes down to us from from the period of of the reformers, and they are called reformers because their aim, for example, Martin Luther would yep. be would be one prominent uh, reformer that that's well known. Their aim was to reform the church, the established church of the day, which was the Roman Catholic Church or the, or the Church of Rome. And so they, they discovered from Scripture, and they were living in that time based on the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, 
that the Church of Rome was the Antichrist of Bible prophecy, and we've looked at that in the past. They stated that plainly. This is very, not something very, we're accusing no, them of. No, no, no. They, they were very plain. And even prior to that, Danny, obviously the, the Reformation really gets attention at the time it, of Martin Luther. It does, no. Well, you have but the Waldenses. But there Waldenzies. were reformers before that. That's right. There were the Waldenses before that and, um, and all the way through, uh, you know, to... to Scotland and yep. Ireland. And Voices of concern. Uh, that's exactly right. So um, you, you, you have individuals who, who realized according to Scripture, uh, the Bible clearly, the prophecies of the Bible clearly outline uh, this institution that would merge together with the state. And that now, which, was, which school of interpretation did they use the, in order to used, arrive at that? They used the historical approach. Right. They, they found that in Daniel and in Revelation. So all the way through, all the way through up until the Counter-Reformation that which you have outlined. towards the end of the 16th century. That's right. All the way up until then, reformers, the great reformers like Zwingli, Luther, Haas, Jerome... Oh, and, and Calvin, Calvin, Knox, Knox. Yeah, so we could, so we could go through and name many others. Even Wesley. Yes, absolutely. They all believed in the historical view of interpreting Bible prophecy, which you have outlined. And so the Counter Reformation. If you want to go there now, uh, Peter. Now that we've outlined, you know, the Reformation, uh, how it got its name. The Counter Reformation is is just as the name suggests. The Church of Rome was under the spotlight, very, mm-hmm. very clearly under the spotlight. This is also a time when it was bleeding members. Oh, it was it was it was a, it was a horrible time for the Church of Rome because mm-hmm. now we also have the advent of the printing press. Yeah, Gutenberg's printing press. So books were in full circulation. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther and his books and so forth and the other reformers they were just being they were just being spread far and wide like the leaves of autumn throughout throughout Europe and so now the church held a council the council of trent mm-hmm. it's probably one of the most significant and important church councils the roman church and at that council a number of things uh, took place but there was also a uh, 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 a strong concerted effort in how to tackle this reformation how to tackle how to deal with the claims of exactly Luther and right. others and so the counter reformation was born and so out of the counter reformation you have these two views two two jesuit priests if you want to if you want to refer to them two jesuits priests uh, were assigned by the church to take a look at coming up with two alternative views of how to interpret Bible prophecy that would take the heat off the Church of Rome and seek to destroy historicism. Mm. Okay, so yes, so uh, we, 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 when we talked about Daniel 2 and then we talked about Daniel chapter 7, where a little horn power emerges. Yeah. And it was that little horn power that people like Luther, people like um, uh, Wycliffe and others identified as the Antichrist and as the papacy. And so... The Church of Rome obviously cannot accept that interpretation, and so it's seeking another. And you have um, Louis de Alcazar, who was a Jesuit priest, lived uh, from 1554 to 1613. His commentary on Revelation was published in 1614, and he proposed the preterist uh, view of interpretation for the book of Revelation and for prophecies uh, of an apocalyptic nature. And in other words, uh, preterism is the idea, so the Antichrist would be somebody like Nero, who lived in the first century at the time when the book of Revelation was written. Uh, They would apply the number 666 to him. Um, You know, he was the beast power or, or what have you. So he was the enemy, if you like, of the Christian church and therefore the Antichrist 
um, motif applied to him. And that's the idea, just one of many ideas around preterism, the idea that these prophecies were fulfilled in the time of the writer and that's where they belong. So and they don't stretch out any longer. Well away bit. from 538 AD. Well away the from the rise of the papacy. The beginning of the papacy took well place. Well away from the, the rise of the papacy. Yep. Then another school of interpretation, uh, which was brought about by Francisco Ribera, who was also a, uh, a Jesuit Jesuit priest. He lived from 1537 to 1591. He came up with futurism. And that is the idea that the Antichrist will appear, look out for the Antichrist, but it's going to be right down at the end of time. And uh, futurism uh, was popularized by um, people like John Darby. Uh, some people may have heard of the Schofield Bible. It was included in some notes in the Schofield Bible, the idea of uh, futurism. Then maybe some people have heard of Hal Lindsey, who wrote a book mm. called The Late Great Planet Earth, where he predicted actually that the world would end in 1988, um, which of course it didn't. And then um, I'm sure many people have heard of the series of books called Left Behind mm. by uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. And all of this follows the futurist type of interpretation of the Bible rapture. prophecy. The, the rapture comes into that as well, mm. but futurism came before the rapture. Yes, it did. Yeah. yeah. So so in terms of futurism, that's all you'll put it, push the Antichrist well down to the end of time. Either way, whether you go with preterism or futurism, both these schools of uh, prophetic interpretation came out of Roman Catholicism at the end of the 16th, early 17th century, and they were both... Uh, successful in deflecting attention away from the papacy as the Antichrist power and putting it firmly back into the first century or way up the end of time. And so they could say, well, we've got an interpretation for these prophecies that doesn't identify the papacy as the Antichrist, which is what the reformers had done. We're not sharing anything new here, Danny. This is hundreds of years old in terms of uh, what the reformers said about the papal power at that time. And so we're not trying to uh, point the finger or uh, call, call people names or anything of that nature. In fact, God has many faithful, wonderful Roman Catholic people, right, that are faithful to God and, and uh, walking with him as, as best they know. So... Um, and I was going to just say, Peter, that the, the importance is that if we place the prophecies in the past or we place them into the future, what we do is we negate the importance of these prophecies in the here and now and where things are And for are our moving. time, for us. Exactly right. So, yeah. so the enemy is very cunning. We've got to remember that's how he's introduced in Genesis 3 as very cunning. And he doesn't mind which cliff we go off right. as long as we don't follow that narrow path which keep is historic, our eyes upon Jesus. which is historicism and keeping our eyes on Jesus. Yeah. And I think the you know the uh, it sort of never really made sense to me if you think about um, preterism it basically says everything happened in the past and you're thinking to yourself well what has happened in the last 2000 years has God not been interested does he have nothing to say? about what has happened in the 2,000 years of Christian history since Jesus ascended to heaven. Um, to me, that doesn't make sense for a God who cares. And then suddenly everything's going to happen, you know, um, but, but nothing sort of happened in between. It makes perfect sense to me that God would comment upon what has taken place in Christian history. And, of course, when you've got a power like the papal power, which has dominated Christian history for hundreds and hundreds of years, it would make perfect sense that if God knew that was going to happen, excuse me, that he would actually um, 
make comment about that in scripture and in prophecy. So that makes sense to me. But um, thank you for the questions. I do appreciate them. Um, we're going to listen now to another song before we come back and wrap up the program. This is Callan Enterman, uh, Letting Go. So I uh, hope you appreciate this song. the captives free you're the one who comes to stand between me and my enemies you're the one who comes to break the lies that i still believe the lies that never leave so come and have your way come and have your way Cause I'm letting go I'm letting go And I'm trusting in the one that I know He's abundantly more Than I wish for and more Than I hope for more than anything I can put you up on my own So I'm letting go Yeah, I'm letting go Callum Enterman, and uh, I know Callum, 
He's singing a song called Letting Go, and so thank you for that, Callum Enterman. Okay, so Danny, tell us about our free giveaway today for this week. Okay, this week's giveaway is um, authored by Ron Cluzet, a wonderful Christian author, and the book is Decoding Bible Prophecy. So this will be very helpful, Decoding Bible Prophecy. And if you're keen to get hold of this book, the first person to call in, it's yours, one 800 3248430 next week peter we are heading to babylon we're going to this, wow the second angel's message of the three angels messages we're going to look at babylon that all important message we're going to mm. unpack what babylon means what it represents what relevance does it have for us and especially those who are preparing for the coming of jesus so, so stay tuned next week that's mm. our message so yes we are continuing our journey through the three angels messages We have been covering the first angel for the last few weeks, and uh, as Danny said, we're going to cover the second one, Babylon. Babylon is fallen. What is that all about? What does it mean? Tune in next week and join us for our program then. We have been delighted to have been able to present this program to you on Faith FM, our afternoon program looking up. We're grateful for your attention. We're glad that you chose to tune in today. We hope that you have a great week. We're looking forward to being with you again next time. And uh, until that time, just remember that as you continue to journey through life, keep looking up. We'll see you again next week. Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up when there's pain deep in your heart. Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up Should the tears begin to start With a prayer all your cares He will cast into the depths of the sea I know His love is there for me We make our plans And still it's God who directs our ways He knows each step I make He knows each breath I take It's in our darkest hour We find our greatest need He knows what's best for you and me Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up When there's pain deep in your heart Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up Should the tears begin to start depths of the sea His love is always there for me In every trial we face 
precious lessons we can learn. My faith grows stronger and His plan for me more clear. His hand cuts diamonds from all we see as simple stones. I've learned to place my trust in Him. Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up when there's pain deep in your heart. Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up should the tears begin to start. Love is always there for me.